to the Boxing Rant Podcast. Leave your kid gloves at home. But I'm the best ever. My style is impetuous. There's no one that can match me. I'm the most brutal and vicious and most ruthless champion there's ever been. My defense is impregnable. Anybody can get What up, what up, fight fans? Welcome back to episode 260 of the Boxing Rant Podcast. I'm Kenny Keith, and I'm joined, as always, by Vince Cummings. What up, man? What's going on, brother? This is one of them special occasions, my friend. We get to preview a Gary Russell Jr. fight this week. That's unbelievable. Um, he's back in Allentown. It's like Christmas, dude. It is. It is. It is. This is what I've been looking forward to, um, second most to uh, DSG versus Redcatch. Uh, we marked it down on the calendar early. We saw it coming. We were like, ooh, this is going to be a big month for the boxing ramp, my friend. And not only that, it's going to be a huge year for Gurry. <laughs> yeah, right. As he looking to fight four times this year he just wants to get that due ken he wants that just due yeah i just want him to fight more than once <laughs> yes that's what everybody wants um yeah so gurry back in action um demetrius andre and the miami DAZN card uh from this past thursday night i think is, is it over yet has it ended yet oh, they still doing walkout bouts from that I can tell you what I I tuned out right uh, before the YouTubers came on. Oh my gosh, man! It was uh, um, one of the longest cards. It's 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 kind of becoming a a trend. It, you know, it really yeah. is. Um, but that's all right. We'll get to all of that and more um, here on episode 260 of the Boxing Rant podcast. We appreciate all of you tuning in. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, Podcast Attic, Castbox, anywhere you get an audio podcast. Subscribe to the show on the Boxing Rant YouTube channel. Thanks for all of you out there that are watching this on the Boxing Rant YouTube channel. I think um, it's been a slow process for some of our audio listeners to sort of migrate over. I don't know if we make it clear enough while we're recording this and they're listening to it on the audio side of things, but you can watch. I mean, why just listen to us? I mean, I know that, you know. It's an awful lot of sexy they're missing out on, Ken. That's what I'm saying, man. Don't you want to, like, <laughs> don't you want to match you know, um, you know this look, you know, <laughs> to this voice. Holy shit, no. <laughs> I've lived it for 25 years. I'm good. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, yeah, so uh, watch us on YouTube. Um, otherwise, I'm just uh, wasting my time making these beautiful videos for no reason. <laughs> Although I do like watching them back. Do you? Yeah, I, I just can't get enough of it. <laughs> Vain motherfucker, boy. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, follow us on Twitter at Vince Cummings eighty one and at Kenny Keith Jr. All right, then let's get to it. Miami, Florida was the scene on the zone uh, this past Thursday night, January thirtieth. Demetrius Andre defended his WBO middleweight title against a forty five to one underdog mm. in Luke Keeler. Um, we didn't spend a lot of time like actually we didn't preview this fight. Uh, we no. we talked about it for a good fifteen twenty minutes. Because I think that um, the narrative that Demetrius Andrade has been pumping out to the boxing world, um, it's not exactly, it's sort of like listening um, to these uh, impeachment managers for the Democrats. Like, it's like, what what exactly are you talking about? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just yeah. <laughs> Russian collusion, like we said before. It just doesn't, I don't know, it, it doesn't add up. You know, somebody uh, posted a great graphic on Twitter that showed like, Andre's last like 10 opponents and the odds for those fights. I mean, it's pretty. I think eight to one was like the closest odds. Yeah, absolutely. And here's the thing, right? You got a guy out here who's demanding the biggest fights in the world, right? And look, he eventually stops Luke Keeler, right? 
But, you know, I've always felt this way. And, 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 and we talked about it a little bit in the post-fight of Danny Garcia versus Ivan Redcatch, right? We talked about the difference between being good and being great. Yeah. And the great guys, the Terrence Crawfords, right? Mm-hmm. The, um, <clears throat> the Canellos, the Triple Gs. Like, these guys that are, are the elite of the elite, the inaways, right? Mm-hmm. These guys, if ever, right, matched against a 45-to-1 underdog, right? That they're... That they're a forty-five to one favorite, dude. It it doesn't happen. First off, but 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 my point is, they go in and they wreck shop. There's no wasting time. Any time that when trip, you know, when Triple G was in his prime, right? Mm-hmm. Any time that he had one of these filler fights. Now, Andre's whole career has been a filler fight, okay? But this type of opponent that Andre fights on a regular basis, when these get snuck into a Canelo, like a Rocky Fielding, right, right. or Avanis Martirosian. You know what I'm saying? It's a destruction. It's an absolute destruction. They show the levels. And the most concerning thing to me that shows it just I, it, it's not like the it's not the quid pro quo on this overrated narrative, right? Mm-hmm. But it's concerning. It 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 just speaks further to they're seeing things different than the viewers are seeing things, right? And the people in his corner and in his world are seeing things differently too. Was when his father said to him in the corner, Boo-boo, I ain't worried about the knockout. I ain't wor- What are you worried about then? The only thing that you should be worried about if you're trying to land a big fight is going in there and destroying. You have to come away from fights like this with the crowd, the audience, the fans, the ticket buyers, the subscribers to the zone coming out and demanding fights for him, right? Mm-hmm. Because that is as much of a force in boxing to get big fights, right? It's 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 just as equal to a great promoter or a great promotion. But guess what? You have to do your part. You can't go in and do this just this this routine over and over and over again and ex- and carry these D-level fighters. Carry them and expect anybody to get excited for what is next. Here's here's what it comes to with Demetrius Andre. Give me something to talk about other than the frustration that continues to grow and grow and grow with any boxing fan that isn't that doesn't call themselves a Demetrius Andre fan uh, give me something to fucking talk about dude give br- let me come away with something that i go you know what Th- maybe i've had it wrong about demetrius andre maybe he is as good as this small group of people make him out to be maybe he is that good maybe I don't think he is. And it's performances like this that just reassure my thoughts of what he is as a fighter. I have zero interest in Demetrius Andrade's career until they find an opponent that is ranked in the top 15 somewhere. And don't tell me, well, Luke Keeler was ranked number three by the WBO. Anyone who's anyone that's not a fucking idiot knows how these ranking systems are manipulated and knows that as soon as one of these champions or one of these fighters signed to fight an obscure name or or a semi-unknown guy like a Luke Keeler, he makes a large jump in the rankings for no fucking reason whatsoever. Happens all the time. Other than to justify the matchup to people who maybe aren't paying attention. But most of us are paying attention, and we see this shit happen all the time. And when you actually get the opportunity against a guy like Luke Keeler, like you said, with other fighters, 
when you when they have these perceived tune-up fights, they don't go out, they don't go in there and look to do what they always do. They look to make a statement. They look for to give people something to talk about going away from this fight. I have nothing to say about D- Demetrius Andrade other than I carry the same frustrations that I had before this fight and now they've grown a little bit more. Yeah. That's it. That's all I can say. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say. I mean, look, just make the BJ Saunders fight, you know, if 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 Canelo is not going to fight Saunders next, which I guess there's still a chance he can. Look, fight Saunders you know, move up to 168. Who cares? The, the WBO is not going to strip you for jumping up and jumping back down. Okay? No. So do what you have to do. You, you, you've you got to get a big fight. But I'm telling you right now, people can say, well, you know, Canelo and Triple G are ducking him. They're not ducking him. You need to understand that everything right now, especially Canelo can do whatever he wants. That's where he's at in his career. He's a cash cow. He makes the calls on whatever he wants to do. Whether you like that or not, that's just the way it is. Yeah. And you know what I'm saying? And, here, and with Triple G... At his age, right, he's pushing 40 years old. There's only one fight that truly matters for him, and that's the rubber match against Canelo Alvarez. That's trying to get some semblance of redemption. That's just it. Triple G is going to make his $7 million guaranteed and his $7 million in equity of DAZN stock every single fight he fights. Mm -hmm. Okay? Whatever it equals. You know what I mean? Whatever the total is, it's around that ballpark, right? Yeah. He gets 50% of it in cash, 50% equity in the zone. So he gets paid what he gets paid. Triple G does not have to take this fight or that fight to be able to make money. He has a contract, right? right? So what? it's not about the money. He's going to get paid if it's against his mandatory. It's about the Canelo fight, right. okay? He wants one more crack at him while he thinks he still has a chance. Whether he has a chance or not, who knows? Them snacks may help. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Um, you know, Look, but- it boils down to this, man. There's three fighters in boxing right now that are in a position, and there's a difference, and, and Andre's a little bit different than Jamal Charlo is and then Terrence Crawford is right now as far as he has people on his side of the street that you would think you'd be able to make a fight for, but the, he hasn't. he hasn't garnered... I don't know. I don't want to say if it's the respect of those guys or whatever it is. They haven't seen anything that makes them go, "Yeah, I want to fight this guy." Like it, like it adds something to my legacy if I beat him because it doesn't for either one at this point in time. But here's what you got to do, okay? You got to fucking go to Fox, go to ESPN. All these fighters that are in this position, at a certain point in time, you're getting froze out. So if you don't want to be frozen out forever. Take the chance. And I'm sorry these fucking promoters are going to have to just eat it, okay? Let your fighter go somewhere else. I guarantee you any one of those three fighters goes to a different platform and wins. That's like going on the road now in boxing, honestly. It's an even bigger win than it is when you win on your own platform against another big guy. It becomes something even more special. Go do that. And right now, there is no fucking reason whatsoever that we cannot make Jamal Charlo versus Demetrius Andrade. Andrade, take your ass to Fox. First of all, more people see you to be exposure for your nobody-knows-you-ass, and maybe you'll gain something from it. There's no reason for you to stick around fighting on the zone, fighting bums, waiting for Canelo or Triple G to finally say, "Ah, 
fuck, I'm tired. Fine, I'll fucking fight the guy now because it's not going to happen. It's just not. Those guys are on a different path. They've made it to the big time. You are not in the big time. And I'm not saying that like I don't want to see Demetrius Andre fight both of them. I'd love to see it. But that's how the that's how this shit works. Like you don't just get to go around saying, you know, that's like for years Amir Khan fucking talking about fighting Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao. Yeah. You just you're not on that level, dude. Not even close. And I get it. I appreciate that you want to fight them, but don't spend your entire don't waste your entire fucking career yeah. chasing nothing. Running after something that is not going to happen. You have to make it happen. So go do something that makes them want to fight you. Period. End of fucking story. Are they saying that... I, I feel like the last thing I read was that Jamal Charlo was going to be fighting Derevianchenko next. Have you heard that? Uh, I think that's been tossed around, and that's a great fight. I think that's a perfect fight for Jamal Charlo right now at middleweight. He He steps away the winner of that fight, then... It's game on, and he's he belongs in the conversation with the best middleweights in the world. Yeah, I mean, dude, you, you cannot... And I think he does now, but he needs that victory just like Andre does. Yeah, I, dude, absolutely. Um, you know, there has to be... Look, you've been, like, Demetrius Andre's been a pro for 12 years. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, at some point, you have to fight somebody... Like, your best win cannot be Vanis Martirosian... At 154 pounds. No. You know what I mean? Like, at some point, like, that's, I'm not, look, I'm I'm not one of these boxing fans or these boxing people that say, oh, well, you got to beat A, B, and C before you fight me. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, he's got to beat, like, here's the list of people that he has to beat first before I entertain him. I do not believe in that kind of talk whatsoever. All I'm saying is, dude, dispatch of the D-level fighters Okay, mm-hmm. how you're supposed to in the first three rounds emphatically make a statement, then fight a guy like you said in the top ten to fifteen at at middleweight, right? Make another statement. You know what I'm saying? Like at some point you have to like there uh, there is levels to this, mm-hmm. and and look look the fights between you know Charlo. Look, there's a lot of good middleweights out there. There's a lot of them. Like. Go up to 168 pounds and fight Danny Jacobs. Like, you're all on the same platform here. Right. You know, all operating Shit. under the same promoter. Fight Danny Jacobs at a catch weight. Yes. I don't even fucking care. Just get a big fight under your belt. Yes. You know? Um, Before you step into a big fight with Canelo Alvarez and you're overwhelmed by the situation and you get your ass fucking destroyed and embarrassed, and then everybody can look back on your career and go, I fucking knew it. He's been a bum the whole time. or He's been no good. He's been a hype job the whole time. Yeah, I mean, look, you just fought in front of like a thousand people at a nightclub in Miami. What's going to happen when you have to fight in front of twenty-five to thirty thousand Canelo fans? Yeah, yeah, he's not going to be ready for it. That moment is going to be too big. Maybe he's just been waiting for the moment, man. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, I, I doubt it. He's been preparing for it the entire time. Oh, that's what these uh, that's what these fights have been doing. Yep, yep, yeah. getting him ready. Yeah. You know, it's a long path. Nothing gets you ready for that. Uh, you know, that Canelo Alvarez work, like Luke Keeler, <laughs> like a like an Irishman who's probably not the even the best Irish middleweight in the world. No, no, horrible, horrible matchmaking. But you know what? We have seen guys. Look, everybody for all the good that Eddie Hearn does, we have seen guys languish under the matchroom banner. Oh yeah, careers 
that go on and on and on, and they go nowhere. Because at the end of the day, right, Eddie Hearn may broker this deal and that deal, but if you're not, like, Eddie Hearn can sit here and say, oh, I made this Canelo thing happen, or I had something to do with it. At the end of the day, Canelo pulls the straight. Eddie Hearn cannot make Canelo do anything. No, nobody can. That's what I'm saying. There's not one person that can make him do a fucking thing. Um, you know, I don't know, man. Uh, look, we can go round and round and well, round. Well, see, this is the conversation that happens with Demetrius Andre, yeah. because there's nothing to talk about when it comes to the fight. It was fucking boring. I don't care if you stopped him in the ninth round and you dropped him before that. That fight sucked, period. So I don't like this fight kicked off three, three and a half hours after they came on the air. They came on the air at nine o'clock. By the time, okay, by the time the first fight was over on the card, um, the Danny Roman MJ fight, mm-hmm. right? When that fight was over, it was already 10 30. It was a little after 10 30. When um, Tevin Farmer and JoJo Diaz ring walked, that's when the main event should have been starting. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Now you can sit here and say that there should be, you know, especially on a fucking weeknight. Exactly. This isn't Saturday night. On Saturday night, okay, I get it. East Coast boxing fans suck it up and stay up. Whatever. The fight was on the East Coast. Right. I I, I went to like I didn't pay attention to when it was going to start. I had. No idea it will start. The main card started at 9. I was at 7 o'clock. I'm like, I'm guessing the zone card's starting right around now. Main card. No. Tune in for an Anthony Sims snooze fest. So God bless anybody who did that like me. Sat through that. Thank God the other two fights were really good fights before the YouTube fight. But that's all I needed. I was done at yeah. that point in time. Yeah. After that Diaz fight... Uh, farmer fight i was done the fucking what was it Eleven thirty almost yeah you know you know what what didn't make sense to me was that the zone had a separate um analyst crew right so so basically they were they were they were having two different separate events in, in the same place but they were treating them differently you had different like typically for any any high level televised boxing event you have your ringside announcers and then there might be like two or three color guys or like in showtime's case they got custer up in the up in the booth mm-hmm. and he'll have some guests roll through right in between fights right but it's not like it's not like a, a 20 minute block okay guys custer you have 20 minutes here we go no it's we're going to talk to this guy until they're ready to ring walk kind of a thing right right well in this case they had exactly that setup sort of kind of right Plus another four guys doing their own announcing analysis and getting hyped up for this YouTube fight that lasted one round. I don't care about the YouTube fight, but that shtick zone that those fucking announcers live in. Oh, dude. The bitten shtick zone that they have. Yeah, it's it's awful. Good Lord. It's really bad. Yeah, I don't, I don't really care about the fight either. Guys want to get in the ring and fight, fight, whatever. Yeah. I don't have to watch. It's fine. I can tune out for 30 minutes. It's just, it, it, Dude, I understand that they needed something to draw eyes onto a Demetrius Andre card, but the fucking card cannot be four hours long on a Thursday. No. But here's one thing about it. Like it was like a fucking telethon. I'm a fan of what DAZN offers, the boxing fan, at the value they offer it Oh, at. so am I. Absolutely. But they have they are so lost when it comes to the production that, that that goes along with these shows, 
these start times. They're just they're in fucking no man's land with with a lot of this shit. I don't get it. Like all of the resources that you have and all of the money that you have, this is the best you got. Like you can't find somebody to lead this thing in the right fucking direction. Cause right now you guys are fucking chasing your tail like a fucking dumbass dog. Yeah. It's it's bad, period. Across the board. Announcing, second announcing crew of fucking shtick zone, start times. All of it is a fucking disaster right now. Yeah, and the, um, you know, look, look, the ringside call is awful. You know what I mean? It, re- it really, really is. Um, you know, I guess PBC finally stole Brian Kenny away for good because, um, you know, they had the, it seemed like the B team in there. It's just really, really tough, you know, when you're trying to, a Thursday night, look, Thursday night is a great opportunity, right? Not a lot of stuff goes on on Thursday nights. Right? Yeah, you got one more day of work. Whatever. It's one more day of work, but you still got to go to work. Right. So have two-thirds of the population in the United States lives on the East Coast. If the fight is on the East Coast... Cater to them. Cater to them. Exactly. So what you need to do is make sure that everything is wrapped up by 11 or 11.30. Right. Period. It's got to yes. be over by then. Yes. And everybody will stay up to watch it. And the West Coast boxing fan will come home from work yeah. at 5 o'clock and turn boxing on. Or go to the bar or go wherever... And watch boxing. It, we don't have to like. Wait a second. We needed. To, we need to be at the end of East Coast prime time and the start of West Coast prime time. Fuck all that, man. Fuck that. Yeah. When it's on the West Coast, I suffer. When it's on the East Coast, come home a little early. Is it that hard to turn on your TV at five o'clock, West Coast? I think that there is. I don't know if this is the case. It could just be that they don't really have somebody there that's that that's supposed to say, okay, guys, let's go, let's go, let's go, right? right. Like on the production side of things, it, it may just be that. But to me, I feel like it is like a telethon, that they are trying to stretch this out, just like they did with, at, uh, at, at Canelo Kovalev. When I'm sitting there in the stands waiting for this fight to happen in the crowd, and I have to wait an hour and watch a UFC fight because there is this – there's this because in the Thomas Hauser – two-piece story about the zone right mm-hmm. a, a two-part story about the zone um he he talks about like there's a, a serious problem with u.s subscribers of the zone right and i think they feel this could be it too it could either be really just not lack of organization on the production side but it could also be a desperation to stay on the air long enough to get as many new subscribers as possible and i lean towards that way only because they're putting these youtube fights on the cards and that's why they're on the cards right. they're not there for any other reason can eddie hearn make a little bit of coin can dzone make a little bit of coin by having these guys on there but at the end of the day they are on there to get another demographic to subscribe to their product but guess what i'm sorry those pro- those those subscribers aren't sports fans though and the basis of the zone is sports yeah it doesn't add up it just doesn't no it doesn't so i look i don't know what direction it's going and we can go on and on about that um but at the end of the day a thursday night fight card come on man yeah it, it, four hours yeah starting at nine o'clock is oh. is just outrageous That's fucking retarded absolutely outrageous um, all right, let's get to the undercard. Uh, Tevin Farmer um, was defending his IBF junior lightweight title um, against Jojo Diaz. Now, Vin, coming into this fight, the odds were relatively close. I think a lot of people had felt that Tevin Farmer's defenses were a little bit weak coming into this fight mm-hmm. uh, and that Jojo Diaz was hungry. I mean, this is the third time that he's going for a belt. The thing that kind of – I mean, the fight was the fight, and Jojo Diaz – 
did exactly what he needed to do. He actually adopted some of the same technique and strategy that you were describing from the J-Rock herd fight, the way that J-Rock was leaning in Mm -hmm. and pushing against them, and then he would back away and he'd sneak in that straight right. You know what I mean? Um, You know, so look, the fight went the way that it did. I think everybody was really focused on this twitching and this behavior, this involuntary sort of this. It was just really weird that Tevin Farmer like had this tick that was going on in the ring. Now, while he was fighting, it didn't seem to bother him. His eyes were doing something weird, but it didn't seem like he was twitching all that much when he was fighting. But in between rounds, he kept like his head kept snapping back. And he kept like looking up, and then Sergio Moore was like, "Why does he keep looking up at the at the clock? Why does he keep looking up at the clock? I don't understand what's going on here." I noticed something. I don't know if, if you noticed it or not. Mm-hmm. Did you watch the lead into that fight when they were interviewing Tevin Farmer in his trailer? I didn't know. He did the same thing. He did, did he? He, he did it two or three times, and I noticed it. At first, I thought it was like a sleight of hand thing, where I'm like, "Hold on, did he just like twitch, or was that just like a oh should I got an itch kind of thing?" Uh, here's uh, this is on the f- like uh, this is probably a drastic view, but this is kind of something that I came away with from watching that fight is that Tevin Farmer knew going into that fight that this was by far his toughest fight, and I think there was a little bit of nerves at play. I also think he got popped by Jojo Diaz while fighting, and was like, "Oh shit, this is a real fucking fight. Like, I can't just come in here and style on this dude. This is a fight." Like, this guy's bringing it to me right now, and I haven't fought an opponent that's done that to me yet. So I'm not prepared to handle it. He walked back to the co- – this was the thing that, that got me more than anything. After the first round, he walked back to the corner. I don't know if anybody caught this or what. But he said, I hurt my hand. I hurt my hand. Where? You didn't land a big shot. Where'd you hurt your hand? I feel like these were all – like built in excuses. And I know he went to the fucking hospital and had scans and ev- all that shit and everything came back normal. No problems. I I honestly think that he fucking the the nerves of being in that fight and him knowing that he was going to lose and the amount of shit talking that he has done and propped himself up to be this top-line fighter at 130 pounds, when in actuality, he's done nothing whether having that belt or not. He's beaten no opponent that should make anybody believe he was one of the best in the world. And I'm sorry, those are just the facts, and Jojo Diaz took those facts and solidified them with his performance in that fight and clearly showed that he was the better fighter, period. I don't care if there's a rematch clause and Tevin Farmer comes back. Jojo Diaz is a better fighter. I'm not going to sit here and make excuses for the twitching and the whatever else was going on there in that situation. I can't do it. I cannot do it. Credit goes to Jojo Diaz for showing he was the better fighter, coming in with a superior game plan, executing it under duress with a massive fucking, one of the worst, deepest cuts I've seen since the Fury fight with Valine. That was a bad cut. This cut was terrible. He managed to get through that fight with that cut, put on the performance that he put on against a fighter that everybody said was a defensive wizard. He's a defensive wizard against average fighters. Jojo Diaz is not an average fighter, and this is what happens when we continue to see it in this fucking sport more and more and more. These guys that have, some of these guys that have belts, 
that haven't been properly tested before they get the belt eventually get tested with the belt and get exposed. And I think Tevin Farmer got exposed. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, look, he, he what had four losses coming into the fight. I think. Yeah, like four in his first seven fights as a pro or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, it's still, it still shows a vulnerability. Yes. You know what I mean? Even if you're not, you know. And then go back and look at the last five or six opponents. Oh, yeah, I know, I know. Um, you know, and, and, and look, you know, I said it in the preview about Jojo Diaz. The dude has, has experience, like good, solid, world-class experience. You yeah. know what I mean? When you've been in the ring with Gary Russell Jr. and show you belong, I know people will we'll talk about Gary Russell Jr. a little later in the show. Say what you want about him. But if you step into the ring with him and you show that you are on that same level, mm-hmm. you are a legit fighter. Farmer's never done anything like that. No, never. No. Well, he, he did, and he lost to Jojo Diaz. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, <clears throat> all right. Let's get to, um, uh, the. I guess, the fighter of the night, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, Danielle Roman uh, squared off against MJ Akhmedaliev. Okay? Much easier to say MJ. I yeah. like that. Yeah. I think somebody made it up on the fly during the telecast. Sounded like that. It's like, every, well, we are just <clears throat> adopting this on the fly, I guess. Yeah, we'll use that. MJ sounds good. MJ. <laughs> yeah. um, <clears throat> i tell you what, man. You know, I, this was the biggest problem that I had with the announcing. I don't like to get bogged down with announcing anymore because there's nothing that anybody's complaining is going to do about it. No. Right? Boxing will continue to recycle the same people over and over again, no matter how just it, it's, it's, you know, it's sort of like. Um, just break the cycle, would you? It's sort of like being like a referee in, in professional sports or being a judge in boxing. How about that? Yeah. It's like. So is there any like disciplinary action for like when you fuck up? Like for me, if I if I if, if I screw something up at work, I get written up. Right. You know what I'm saying? And when you go in for a review, it's like, yeah, no, you're not getting a raise this year. No, and your bonus is this yeah, big. Exactly. You know what I mean? Um <clears throat> Yeah, so look, I just had a problem and it left a really bad taste in my mouth was that they spent the first third of this fight talking about how they can't believe, and it was it was Chris Mannix more than anybody. It's like the one thing that I don't like about his announcing shtick is that it's almost like he is texting during these fighter interviews, and he only picks up like little pieces, and that's what he hangs his hat on. Right, like he gets very repetitive. Oh, why did he win that uh, round, Chris? Oh, because he landed uh, uh, the better punches. He yeah yeah he landed the better punches. Right. There's nothing to it. Right. Like, there's nothing going on. No depth or anything. There's, but, no, there's no Harold Letterman there. No, absolutely not. And, you know, just like, hanging their hat on the fact he kept on talking about it, and then everybody else chimes in and he's like, oh, let's go with this because none of us really know what uh, we're talking about with these guys. Right. About how Daniel Ramon shouldn't have taken this fight. And Chris Mannix went on to say, oh, even on my podcast, I said he shouldn't have taken this fight. Like, is that is that the kind of. Like, is that where we're at now, where we're starting with these new, uh, forceful, um, sort of just prevalent, I should say, personalities? Like, you know, Coppinger went on for years and years and years talking about how he didn't even, like, he hasn't watched a fight, like, pre-2002. Right. And then he wants to comment on history, you know what I'm saying? But then you get these guys that come in, like, like, to me, Chris Mannix is an NBA guy. That's just my opinion. Yeah. And he does boxing on the side. Yeah. Okay? So when you come in and that's what you're talking about, 
Like, how can that even are you are you a fan or did you just get assigned this position? I'm not saying that you should fanboy, right. but anybody that appreciates and watches boxing, the moral, the premise of their entire spiel during a fight should not be believed. I can't even believe this fight's happening. Daniel Roman should have taken this fight. What? What is that? And, and in the meantime, Daniel Roman's putting on one hell of a performance. But look, but but look at Ahmed Aliyev. Look how he moves side to side so fast. You see that athletic, He dances. He takes dance. The athletic white guy? White-skinned fighter with, with, with athletic skills? The Asian? Yeah. <laughs> I've seen some quick Asians box. I mean, look. First of all, I'm not going to say Daniel Roman got robbed. I don't think he got robbed. I think it was a very close fight. And it was a really good fight. Oh, it was a, it was a great fight. It was the best fight this year so far. Yeah, by far. Entertainment-wise, no doubt about it. I, but I thought Daniel Roman did enough. I didn't score the fight, so I'm not going to sit here and play scorecard. I scored it three to one. Did you? Mm-hmm. No, good for you. Mm-hmm. That sounds right, actually. <laughs> I, I mean, that's the, to me, Roman was doing the better, more significant work throughout the fight. And for whatever reason, people who score fights seem to, to, to not be able to catch body shots. Like, you don't have to look extra hard for them. They're there. You just got to know how to watch a fucking fight. And not be a spaz about it. Did you hold on? Not to interrupt. Did you hear Chris Mannix's first question in the post fight to Ramon? Why did you decide to abandon your body attack? He'd never abandon it. <laughs> that was the most. I was like, okay, I'm done. Abandon it. He used it the entire fight, all the way up until the last round. I was actually watching that, going, dude, this is kind of like there was little mini shades of Chocolatito in there with his performance that night. Yeah, like the subtle movement and the body work and just the the constant flow of his work. I was I could have come away from that fight any more impressed with Daniel uh, more impressed with Daniel Roman. That was a great performance. That's why I kind of feel like I want to say he got robbed, but I know he didn't. It was a close fight. Yeah, I mean, coming off of that TJ Doheny fight and then coming in to put on a performance like this, when you know, like not to keep going back to it, but when when everybody's narrative is, oh, you shouldn't have taken the fight, and his oh, and his trainer said he shouldn't t- have taken the fight. Like he basically. Like, put up his middle finger to all of them. Is like, listen, man, I'm a fighter. Yeah. Okay. Like, I'm gonna take this fight because this is who I want to fight. And he went in there and look. It took a little bit of adjusting early on in the fight. I will give them this about Amikdaliev. I'm I'm very high on the guy. I want his eighth. Only his eighth fight. Exactly. I can't wait to see more and more of him. But the the whole like his footwork, this, that, and the other. To me. He was an athletic fighter that moved better than Roman. Yeah. But they were speaking about him and not going so far as to compare him to the footwork of Lomachenko, but, but by making these references to how he has a dance background. I did not see a cohesive fluidity to his movement. I saw a guy that juked side to side a little bit more. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? And kind of moved around a little bit. But every time he would come off of these movements and getting away, he'd, he'd launch a little bit of offense, whether it was effective or not. A lot of times it was. But every time he would come back to engage Roman, Roman would piece him with an uppercut every single time. It, all day long that uppercut was there for Roman. It's one of those typical, and it happens all the time in the sport of boxing, where some guy looks flashier doing his work and gets more credit for it for some reason. When you, you you're missing that body attack the entire fucking time, yeah, that body attack was ruthless. Yep, ruthless. And I heard a lot of like sentiments after the fight saying, 
you know, I don't know if it's smart for Daniel Roman to try and get a rematch in this. Like, I think that by the time this fight was over, that you know, that Roman's not going to get any better, and, and and the second time around, he'll he'll have been figured out, and it'll be an even. No fucking way. If you're saying he shouldn't have taken the fight and that was the performance he gave, then let's see him with the good fucking camp. <laughs> he had a six-week camp, didn't he? Let, let's see him with the full training camp, not coming off an injury. Let's see that. Um, don't you think that Roman would be the one to figure the guy out? I mean, I mean, why does it go the I other way around? I think he already figured him out, and I don't like. There's not. I don't know. Man. From the third round on, I completely agree. Yeah, but I, sometimes it takes world-class fighters a few rounds to figure out how to dissect this guy. You think? Every once in a while, you know. Yeah, there, there's a completely other side that I think a lot of people that watch this fight took away from it, and it was not what the people ringside were seeing. No, whatsoever. No, I saw I saw a fight that was a great fight that I want to see again. That I want to see what Danny Roman can do to sort of flip things into his favor. Right. Because first off, it was a very close decision, and I think you and I both had Roman winning the fight. Yeah. Nothing. Look, nothing against Amikdaliev. I cannot wait to watch the rest of this guy's career. Yeah, he's going to be in exciting fights. There's no doubt about Give it. Give me Ahmed Daliev if he stays at Bantamweight against Inouye when he moves up to Bantamweight. Yeah, let's see that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, there's plenty of, there's plenty of action for him to get there. And, and look, Daniel Roman does not take a step back or lose anything in my eyes from that performance. He's still, and, and he honestly deserves another crack at it immediately. I said Bantamweight. I meant junior lightweight. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Close enough. Oh, man, it's just one of those days, right? <laughs> just make it up as we go. Hey, man, fuck it. That's all right. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a couple YouTube comments on there going, oh, you don't even know what weight class he's in. Yeah, well, it happens when you're doing a, a show recording live. Every once in a while, you you make a misstep. Let me explain something to you people without lecturing you, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to lecture you. Yeah, right. I'm going to do my best Mark Kriegel impression, but I promise to talk at a faster rate. Hold on. Let me let me cross my legs. and Can I get a juice box real quick? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, guys. Story time. Throw another log on the fire. <laughs> um, look, bottom line is Vince and I have smoked enough weed to tranquilize a herd of elephants. <laughs> that is true. Okay, so fucking cut it off. <laughs> or cut it out, okay? Leave us alone. Seriously. <laughs> Fucking burnouts over here. Recovering burnouts. Oh, Lord. All right. Is that a short enough story? Yeah, that's short enough. Good. You guys feel lectured? Do you feel belittled? <laughs> Yeah, we're fucking idiots. Get over it. If you haven't figured that out yet, I don't know why you're listening. If you haven't been listening to me for the last four years, call myself an idiot about 100 times. (laughs) Oh, man, I love it. Um, All right, let's get away from this zone card, then. Um, The fight preview. Uh, February 8th on Showtime from Allentown, Pennsylvania. Got an email here in my inbox, Vin, to give away free tickets for the fight. How about that? I would imagine that a fight in Allentown featuring a guy that fights once a year against another guy that doesn't fight very often. I mean, they put Rigo on the the card. Oh, that does it. He's a big – dude, he's got a huge fan base in Allentown, Pennsylvania. (laughs) Huge fan base. Actually, before we started, I was like, just put it Allentown in Google Maps and see – Yeah. It's a two-and-a-half-hour ride. We border Pennsylvania, right? It's not that far. It's, uh, it's like going to Philly. It's outside of Philly, right? Except it's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. No interest. No. Not, 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 a, not a bit. Okay, so he's fighting a guy named King Tug. I'm not going to sit here and even try to pronounce the guy's name. Oh, actually, I will. It's Tug Sugt Nayam Bayayar. Sounds good to me. King Tug it is. Yeah. Apparently, 
um, this is going to be a tough test for Gary Russell. I would say at this point in Gary Russell's career, okay, that any time that he gets in the ring, if he continues this once a year kind of thing, it's going to get tougher and tougher for him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... He's not fighting bums. He's not going the Demetrius Andre route. No, no. And that win against Jojo Diaz looks a little better now, right? Absolutely. But look, man, so if you look at King Tug's biggest wins in his career coming into this fight, which are his last two, they're Oscar Escondone and, and Claudio Marrero. Okay. Tell me how those two guys prepare you for Gary Russell Jr. Like, is there any kind of... there any attribute from either one of those two guys that would say... Yeah, he's kind of like Gary Russell Jr. or or even on the level of a Gary Russell Jr. No. No. It doesn't prepare you for that kind of speed and athleticism. So I know that like there's a narrative coming into this fight that King Tug's a tough fighter and this is going to be one of Gary's tougher tests. I could not disagree more. I think Gary Russell Jr. is going to shine in this fight against a guy that's going to try to bring the fight to him. And the superior boxing ability and the superior athleticism will be on display, no doubt about it. Well, let me ask you this. Are you sure that he's going to look spectacular? I mean, the guy only fights once a year. We're starting to see a trend of guys that fight less and less yeah. looking a little rusty in the ring. Yeah, I will say for in Gary's case, he's one of those guys that seems to at least be able to, to fight in this once-a-year <laughs> bullshit and not really look like he does. When he fights. It works for Gurry. Uh, yeah, he got that superior hand speed, Ken. <laughs> he does. He does. Um, yeah, man, look, I, I, I think that I disagree with you just on the – I agree that Gary Russell is going to win this, and right. it's going to end up being a clear win. But I just feel like at some point the rust has got to – it's got to show through on him. And you can't keep putting that rust-oleum on it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, right. You know, look, we're hearing about how, how Gary Russell has been saying, like, you know, he wants more respect on his name, and, you know, people see to, uh, need to start giving him his due and this, that, and the other. And he, he's back to the same narrative leading up to a fight, how nobody respects him and how this is a year, like, everybody's ducking him, and that's why he can't get the big fights. Look, man, it, it's if, if it happens once, right, okay, it, it's, it's, it's an anomaly. If it happens twice, okay, now it's starting, things are starting to repeat themselves. But when it happens five times, five years in a row, you only fight once, Yeah, that's a pattern. And that goes on to the fighter. And it goes back to comments that are not being brought up into the lead-up of this Gary Russell fight, where Gary Russell has said numerous times in between fights how he's not even a, a, a fan of boxing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That he's like, I don't even really like boxing. I'd rather just be a promoter or something. What happened to that whole beef with him and Leo Santa Cruz? Nothing. That's look, they they look. It's it has to have something to do. It goes back. It, it it goes right with what I'm saying right now. Is that that side, the PBC side, Al Heyman side, must know that Gary doesn't really want to fight more than once a year. So they're not going to waste a fight that could build serious momentum for somebody that's not going to fight for another twelve or thirteen months. Right? They're going to give it to Tank because at least they know they're building on something with that. I think that they have realized, kind of like they did with Adonis Stevenson, once he started his once a year fighting, once he started not having to defend against mandatories, right? Mm -hmm. Is that Adonis just kind of became like an afterthought, right? He kind of became like, like he gets brought up, oh, what's that guy up to? You know, kind of a thing. Whereas I think that's where Gary's at right now. And I think that's the way that they feel about him. I don't think, look, 
if he is salty that he's been trying to get, like, legitimately trying to get this Leo Santa Cruz fight, and he's salty about that, and now he's even more pissed off that Tank is going to get that fight instead, well, he should look at the way that he's, he's handled his career, okay? He only has himself to blame unless there's something truly sinister going on where somebody's holding him Come back on. from fighting more than once a year. It's his inactivity. It's his own fault. People are talking about Tank. They're not talking about Gurry. And in that same, we talking about Gurry, <laughs> but nobody else talking about Gurry. <laughs> in that same interview that you brought up earlier, it's like he makes all these comments about I got enough money. I'm rich already. Um, That's good. At, and at, at what point? It, what I would say is to any anybody that like listens and takes boxers at their word, like when they make these statements, like Gary Russell Jr. has made. This oh, he week, called him out. He's called. He's. He's constantly look. He's constantly ducked. He's always calling people out. He can't get fights. He's rich already. If he doesn't get the fight he wants, then he's going to leave Al Heyman and the PBC. Like this is the type of shit that's been said for the last almost two years with him, but nothing ever changes. At what point do anybody as a any any fight fan any, and especially a Gary Russell fan just have to look at this guy and go? You're fucking full of shit. I don't believe a word that comes out of your mouth. You're playing the game is all you're doing right now. And it's making me lose interest. And if you're a fight fan that hasn't caught up to it yet, I don't know what your fucking problem is. Like, this is all bullshit. It's it's just a, a stream of bullshit coming out of this guy's mouth constantly. Yeah, it's the boy who cried wolf. Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not here for it, nor do I take any word that he's... I don't take Gary Russell at his word on anything. I like watching Gurry fight. Yes. But I'm not gonna get excited about his next fight before this one. Yeah, like wait for that uh that in ring interview after the fight. Who do you want to fight next, Gary? Uh, it's the same it recycled garbage and it means nothing. It's all bullshit. <laughs> oh man. So what's your prediction for the fight? How how does it end? Uh I think Gary beats him nine, ten rounds to two or three. So you're betting the over? Yeah, I'm betting the over. I'd, I'd bet Gary Russell by decision, but there probably won't be great, great odds on that to begin with. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll have to take a look and see. Um, also, joining the party, um, you know, if you really want to, like, this guy is the ultimate fluffer in boxing. If you ever need a guy with a big enough name to sort of get everybody lubed up and get the juices flowing. Yeah. You know what I mean? He is that. To get the crowd going, to get them excited, to be like sitting there, everybody's drooling. They're like, oh, oh, I can't wait for the next fight. I'm so excited. I'm hot and bothered. Hurry up, hurry up. Right? <laughs> and then blue balls kick in. <laughs> right. You get all worked up for no reason. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. We've G- all been there. Guillermo Rigondial. Oh. Joins the party. Drops back down to his rightful weight, where he was the rightful king, Ken. Fighting at straw weight? <laughs> to reclaim his throne. Um, okay, hold on real quick Yeah, about his throne. Okay? So um, there is, we're, we're going to be talking about in news and notes uh-huh. about a bantamweight that owns three major, uh, owns two major titles that's going to be fighting another major titleist mm-hmm. to unify three belts. Hear what Rigo doing. Rigo is fighting for a vacant yes. WBA regular bantamweight title. And we all know those WBA regular belts are actually better than real WBO belts. The so. fact that one of them is vacant is just mind-boggling. 
fighting for a vacant regular belt. Why would it be vacant? Why can't it just go away? I, I feel like if it, <laughs> if it's not going to go away, then it should just be handed to somebody. I mean, the WBC's handing out. We're we're gonna we're gonna bump him to franchise and hand this guy our version of the regular belt. I guess if it has a franchise belt, it's just. Fuck. Just, it's ridiculous, man. And, and only Rigo would they be? Would the WBA be like, yeah, let's? We actually weren't doing anything with this regular belt, so <laughs> let's bring it out. Uh, he deserves it, right? Fuck all, come on, give me a break. Are you looking forward to this fight against Laborio Solis? No, I know. I, I know. There's a ton of boxing fans that are like getting hyped about the return of Rigo. Who? Uh, Dan Raphael and Gabe Montoya. Maybe hyped. Maybe hyped is is a little bit big of a word. That are semi excited. That have a mini throbber. Let's uh, say. Uh, no, this causes. I'm, this causes. I'm. Oh, I'm the, done. This causes this. the D to completely <laughs> retract <laughs> back in, in into the stomach. Yeah, the, gives you the old any. Yeah, it's like ooh, I got two belly buttons. It's like a fat guy that just ran a mile and a half. It's it's not there anymore, folks. Seriously, stop with the Rigo shit, okay? You're, the, he's going to bore you again. Rigo is 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 the equivalent of the impeachment trial. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Just straight up absolute boredom. Boredom. The guy is the most overrated fighter of this generation. The most overrated by far. Not even close. The cult of Rigo, they should all be in prison. Every <laughs> single one of them. Okay? This is David Koresh. Guillermo Rigondeau. Laborio Solis, people. No, Laborio's not in the cult. No, I know, but that's who his <laughs> opponent is, okay? This guy's is nothing. It's, it's, this is going to be one of the most, if not the most, boring fight of the year so far. Yeah. I mean, you want to sell tickets in Allentown, Pennsylvania, just put Gurry and Rigo on the card. Jesus, man. Where, what is the thinking behind this entire card, honestly? All that said... I'm actually looking forward to watching Gary Russell Jr. fight. Yes. I'm always looking forward to watching him get in the ring. It's everything that surrounds it outside of that. You've been watching Gary since he was this tall, right? Yeah. I was watching Gary at Palmer Park in PG County. So I've been watching him since he was a youngster, like 12 years old. Yeah. I thought this kid was going to be the next Maryland's next Sugar Ray Leonard. That's what I thought. Yeah. Watching him as a youngster. At 22, 23 years old, I'm barely knowing what I'm watching. That's a young boxing fan that really hasn't figured out shit yet. And that's around the time that I was doing a little bit of fucking training and a little bit of sparring. So I would go to these all these amateur fights all the time. This kid was, I mean, fucking head and shoulders above everybody that he fought. And it was clear that he was going to be special. And to see it just fizzle like it has has been... A massive disappointment. Do you think that the way in which Lomachenko beat him um, had any impact on his psyche and his his um, desire for like a, a you know a truly you know taking his boxing career and 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 just like you know going all in on it? I should say. Well, I think it definitely like going into that fight, I think he thought he was the superior fighter and he was going to show it that in the pro ranks. There's a difference between me and Lomachenko, and that just was. But I'm, but I'm not, but I'm not even really. I'm not, I guess I'm not talking about that. That was probably what Gary was thinking. I guess I'm more talking about that he got out, out, out schooled in what he does best. Oh yeah, 
Uh, I, and I think that was a bit of a, yeah, it's a bit of a crushing blow to him that early in his career. Like he was the second best athlete in the ring that night. Yeah, and I don't think he ever expected that to happen. Yeah, and, and yeah, that probably took that probably hit him a little harder than he expected. But to to react the way he's reacted since then, and, and his career taking the path that it's taken, Jesus Christ, man! I like three years ago, I remember him being on the on the Showtime broadcast with uh, what's his name in between fights and saying Lomachenko, I'm coming, I'm coming to get you, Lomachenko. <laughs> What have you done? There's been not like no, you're not. You're not coming to get anybody. They give you a fight once a year. You take it, and that's it. And you go away. Much less the guy that schooled you. Yeah. Oh man, that's hilarious. Let me ask you a question. I know we're bouncing around here, but talking about your amateur boxing career. So what? <laughs> there was no career. Hold on a Let's second. Let's not get it no, twisted. No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. We got to do a segment on this. Okay. Go um, ahead. <laughs> embarrass me, Ken. Go ahead. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to know when you were in your fighting prime, you were svelte. How tall are you? Six two, six three? About yeah, about six two. A little shy, like barely shy of six two. Okay, so you're six two. What weight class were you fighting in? Uh, back then, I was weighing in at about 174, 75 Ooh. pounds, walking around. Would you Mert Canelo at light heavyweight? Back then, maybe. I heard you can't take a body shot though. I, no, I can't. That was that was the downfall. <laughs> Who was it that gave you that body shot? Do you remember his name? We've talked about him on the show before. What, he fought uh, Arthur Baturbiev as a re- late late replacement fighter on a PBC card like in 2015. You can't even remember now. No, you? and I saw him in D.C. at a little uh, – I was getting lunch. I was getting like a steak and cheese at a little deli, like just your normal run-of-the-mill like along-the-road spot in D.C. And I walked in, and he was in there, and my man looked like fucking shit. And it was probably two years, yeah. three years after that Baturbiev fight. And I, I had only been in a gym with him for a couple of days, so it's not like he was going to remember me. Yeah. Not to mention I was probably about 30 pounds heavier from from then. But, God, yeah, he hit me with a body shot. I think it was halfway through the second round. And the, I had just come into the gym, and I'd watched the dude like three weeks before win the 168-pound uh, open uh, Golden Gloves champion. Actually, he draw, it was a draw. So I had watched him, and he was a big dude. And when I went to the gym to spar, and I walked in, and I didn't know who I was sparring. And they pointed him out, and it's like my my guy Donnie was like, "Hey, that's who you're going to spar today." I said, "Holy fuck, dude! I just watched that guy. He's kind of a beast, man." He's like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know what the fuck I'm doing yet. You know, I know how to throw a punch and all that shit, but I was like, "Fuck, man!" And I I want to say, if there was video footage of it, I would fucking stomp it and destroy it. <laughs> I really would because I couldn't do nothing but Paul jab and this dude was moving and I'd been working in in the in the ring for like 20 minutes before we started sparring and I was fucking tired because of the nerves yeah had gotten me a yeah. little bit so by the time that bell rang for the first round I'm like dude I can barely hold my fucking gloves up I don't even know how I made it that far and he hit me with a body shot and I immediately spit out my mouthpiece and I said that's it I said, no mas, man, I'm done. I can't even fucking hold my hands up, and I just got murked to the body. I mean murked. <laughs> it was it was Keith Thurman style, though. I didn't go down, baby. You didn't? I did not go down. <laughs> but you waved it off yourself. I spit out the mouthpiece and walked away and said, no, sir, I'm done. Come on, man, let your corner do that, man. Let them get some shine. <laughs> <laughs> A little midget, in my, little midget in my corner. Yeah, yeah, dude, that's fucking awesome. What an awesome story. A glamorous boxing career. You had a Gary Russell type boxing career. Yeah. 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 yeah flamed out quick. 
It was never much of a flame. <laughs> Fucking call it an amateur career. There was nothing. <laughs> oh, it was an embarrassment is what it was. It's all good, man. It's longer than my my, uh, my amateur career. <laughs> you know, I, I was I was trying to go the route of Jorge Masvidal and go from doing like uh, street fights and like backyards and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, that didn't last very long. You wake up in a pool of your own drool and blood uh, too many times. <laughs> I'm trying to bring up Baturbiev's fucking <laughs> box wreck so I can see what well, I can't remember the guy's name. <laughs> he, he didn't even hit you in the head, and you can't remember. <laughs> I didn't need to get hit in the head by him. I took care of that myself. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. whatever. It is what it is. It is. Um, all right, let's get to the news and notes and get out of here. Let's do it. All right, so it looks like they're targeting March 28th. Uh, I'm assuming in England um, where they could draw a decent crowd. Um, Alexander Usyk versus Derek Chisora. It looks like the path that uh, Anthony Josh – I mean, they can blame it on, on you know sanctioning bodies all right. they want to. But it was pretty clear that Kubrat Pulev was the preferred opponent after winning his belts back. All of this, all of this has been like I feel like all these announcements coming like this one and the Joshua Pulev fight. Like we knew this fucking four months ago, three months ago, you knew this was going to happen. This we all saw this coming. This was all kind of a a slow build to this. But I think it's a perfect perfect fight for Usyk. It really is. Let's see if he can take a punch. Let's see him get hit by a big shot. Let's see Chizor land one of them looping overhand shots right on Usyk's chin. Because I guarantee it'll happen. And Chisora hits hard enough to at least say, all right, he can take a fight. He can take a punch from a, from a, a top 10-ish heavy, heavyweight with a decent punch. That's all I want to see. He's going he's gonna to beat Chisora pretty easily. But he's going to take a shot in this fight at some point, and that's what I want. I, I want to see him wear that shot and, and continue with the Usyk style that we've all seen. Yeah, yeah, I do too. I think at some point, um, you know, the style that Usyk is going to use in this fight is exactly what we have seen, like you just said. There's no reason for him to change what he does. No, because what's going to end up happening is he's going to move so much on Chisora. These 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 big lumbering heavyweights have never seen a guy that can move like this before, mm-hmm. and he's going to make Chisora swing and loop, and Chisora is going to be very tired by the end of this fight. And I would not be surprised if we saw an exhaustion stoppage tko in this fight honestly and truthfully yeah uh, and in the corner up against the ropes seven eight punch combination no reaction from because he's just tired at that point if all things were even and these guys were standing toe-to-toe and trading punches the whole round this thing would probably go the distance and or 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 maybe even Usyk might get hurt in this one who knows yeah but that's not how Usyk fights Usyk's gonna make him miss a lot of those big shots and he's gonna make him do a lot of chasing and yeah Chisora's gonna get tired at some point in this fight and that's gonna cost him and it's even more exhausting when you're chasing and you're looping and missing getting pieced up on your way in yeah that's exhausting yeah as you know (laughs) as I know as you know yeah right (laughs) sparring partner to the stars over here yeah yeah um all right um and an official fight, official, official, um, for April 25th at the Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, Niowa Inouye makes his debut on ESPN against John Riel Casamero. Um, Is it regular ESPN? Uh, it just said ESPN Networks okay. at this point. Um, WBA, WBO, and IBF Bantamweight straps will all be on the line. What a good fight, mm-hmm. okay, for... For Inouye, um, in a debut unification fight here, 
Um, I guess my real curiosity about this fight, since it's a little ways out right now, I'm glad they're making this fight, is whether or not it'll be a headline at the at the Mandalay Bay or they'll have something decent accompanying it. I don't know if Inouye has that kind of star where they can make him a headliner. I mean, people are going to tune in for a boxing match on ESPN no matter who's in it, right? Right. It's just the buzz leading up to it. I think they'd be best suited to put in, to use Inouye like HBO used Chocolatito, <clears throat> which was as the the co-main for Triple G. So they need to find somebody to pair him with that can kind of introduce him because he's just he's not you're not just going to throw him in as a main event and yes all hardcore boxing fans know who he is but there's there's a lot of your casual not even casual just like your your part time boxing fan the guys that pay attention to the bigger names you know those type of fans put Nonito on the on the co feature. You could. I think is he that, a Dick Schaefer guy? I think Donito's uh, fighting on a PBC card coming up here pretty soon. Yeah, but he but 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 he's with Ringstar Sports. He's with Richard Schaefer, right? Yeah, I believe so. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I, look, it's a great fight, and Casemiro's kind of had a, had a little bit of a rebirth in the way that he kind of destroyed uh, Tate in his last fight. Yeah, it's it makes this fight mouthwatering because the the only fight we wanted to see was uh, in a way versus Tate because Tate dropped out of the WBSS. Um, but now we got the guy who beat him. I, I think it's a great fight, and it, it again points to what Inouye is as a fighter. Is he's not looking for an easy fight. Yeah, that, that's he's not interested in that. At least his career to this point would have nobody believe that he's interested in that right now. He wants to fight the best. He wants to accumulate belts. He wants to move up. These are legacy building fights only. Is what it seems like for Inouye. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to seeing Gojira. Yeah, on ESPN. Um, last thing, we'll get out of here. So in the wake of the DSG-Ivan Redcatch fight, um, <laughs> nobody really noticed it as the fight was going on. Yeah. But then it got ran back pretty clearly. Um, and then you know, they talked about it a little bit after the fight um, that uh, um, Ivan Redcatch gave what I, what I viewed, even the way that Danny Garcia responded to it in, in the post-fight, right? Like it was this... Like like Ivan Redcatch was doing like being playful and like being a little like obnoxious, you know, mm-hmm. and gave him like this mouth guard bite down on his neck. Like it wasn't like I'm a I'm a rip I'm a bite a piece of your ear off kind of thing, right? But nonetheless, Ivan Redcatch bit DSG during their fight. Now there was just a um, another you know expose done by uh, you know Thomas Hauser, the guy who does all the good investigative reporting. Um, for boxing in uh, in Ring Magazine about the NSAC, mm-hmm. right? And um, not Bob Bennett sack. <laughs> the NSAC, okay? And, um, you know, just talk about, like, the wild inconsistencies, um, just even the way that the, the NSAC is structured right. in their hierarchy. You got, like, you know, part of their hierarchy just works from home in other states. You know what I mean? Right. These, and they have a massive, massive budget, so they're not, like... You know they're not short of of income, mm-hmm. right? But uh, needless to say, they've given Ivan Redcatch a one year suspension, all right, and he has to forfeit his entire purse from the fight. Forfeit his entire purse from the fight. Now, PED users get six months suspensions, and is there a fine? If there is, it's it's so small that you don't ever hear about it. Well, I, they don't get fined because they lose their purse. Because they're not fighting. Exactly. No, but is there a fine? I, I don't think there is. Because here's the thing, right? It's not one of these situations where one might assume because the forfeiture of the entire purse was levied by the NSAC that I mean, it was my first uh, thought was, oh, did Ivan Redcatch ever even get paid? Or did the promoter have to turn that money over 
to the NSAC. Right. But it was levied, you know, far enough afterwards that apparently, from from the report that I read, Red Catch had already deposited his three hundred thousand dollar check, and basically said, "Fat fucking chance you all ever see that money, and good luck trying to enforce it." Yeah, I, I, like you're gonna get the court system involved here. I, I don't understand how's that gonna work. Honestly, what 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 is their recourse to get that fucking money? <laughs> Who knows? And. Do you have written rules that you actually follow, or do you make them up as you go, or how's that work? But they're concerned about safety, then. Wow. So that because of that, all the other stuff should get ignored. It's just a why. There's no precedence. They follow no precedence no. whatsoever. You know why? Because there's a new leader of that organization every two years take, who makes up their own fucking rules. You want to take some money from them? Find them twenty five thousand dollars or something like that. The entire purse. That's ridiculous. The entire purse, and then. When you get that money, okay, so let's say he is fined and pays that three hundred thousand. Where's that three hundred thousand go? Back into the budget? Where where's it go? Yeah. Who, who gets that? Right. Anybody tracking that cash? Look, I, I'm not sitting here I'm not a defender of Ivan Redcatch. No. Ivan Redcatch did one of the most ridiculous things I think that any fighter has done. In boxing, people throw around the race card all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Especially in boxing, P- you know, people give us shit because of having an opinion about a black fighter. Like, right? That some people truly believe that we are not allowed to even have an opinion about a black fighter because we're white. Yeah. You know what Ivan Redcatch did? Ivan Redcatch said that Hank Lundy looked like Harambe. <laughs> I do. Remember. Do you remember that? I do remember that. Yes. Okay. So. We are no Ivan Redcatch fans here. No, <laughs> never have been. The guy is is he's is, always been known as a bit of a piece of shit in the sport of boxing. Yeah, he's out there. Yes, he is out there. But we're just talking about a look. We're talking about a fighter that went through with the fight, had the fight, and then you're you know you know what I'm saying? Like goes the distance in a fight, has to take these punches, and then you're going to find the man the entire purse. For something that wasn't even addressed by the referee during the fight, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. no point deducted, no warning. The only reason the it was ever brought up was DSG was like, "I think he bit me." Yeah, and the, and the ref came back to the corner to DSG's corner after that round and said, "I'm sorry, I didn't see it. <laughs> didn't see it." So that's, I mean, the, the funniest part about this was it brought back uh, the, like all the famous biting incidents. Like for a sport to have this many incidents where somebody gets bitten in a ring during a fight is absolutely I mean you had Riddick Bowe biting was it Riddick Bowe or no it was Tyson biting Lennox Lewis's leg at the press conference or something when they had their little scrap or maybe I'm getting that wrong it was one of them I can't remember who exactly but there was that but the funniest one that that came to mind to me and it brought back up was Maidana biting Floyd Mayweather do you remember that vaguely so <laughs> Floyd's like I bit me he bit me. Oh, he bit his thumb. Bit his thumb. Yeah, so <laughs> I do remember that. I'm thinking back, and it didn't register at the time, but he got bit on a glove, through a, a mouthpiece, a glove. How did you even feel that unless it was like the hardest, most, you know, the, the, the ref didn't see it. Nobody hardly noticed it during the fight. Everybody was like, I don't know, maybe, maybe he did. I, I didn't see it. Nobody saw it. Yeah. That reaction after that bite, a mouthpiece and a glove on and you're, he he made a fucking scene out of it. Yeah, went back to the corner, and of course you got the same reaction from Roger that you got from DSG's dad. Go fuck that motherfucker up. 
It was just it just brought back all those instances. I'm thinking to myself, man, boxing is a fucked up sport where these tough motherfuckers get to that point where they go, ah, fucking, I'm biting his ass. Yeah, the frustration just peaks, you know, and bo- it boils over. I've never bitten anybody out of frustration in my fucking life. You know what's funny though, man, is that like okay, so that happens, right? Yeah. You see, like you know, like like blatant headbutts. Like remember the um, uh, was it the Ortiz Mayweather fight? Oh, Ortiz, yeah. He jumped like, up into him. So, so you see all these things. The one thing I've never seen, and, and, and tell me if you have, oh, please, anybody out there, if you've seen this before, out of all of the crossover fighters that come from Muay Thai and kickboxing, I've never seen one get frustrated and start and kick the opponent. You know no, what I'm saying? No. Like, you know, Chris Algieri was a, a, a world kickboxing champion, yeah, wasn't he? I think it was two-time, yeah. Yeah, and, and, not, and not that he has, a, you know, the, the, the demeanor to do something like that anyways. <laughs> no. but, but, dude, Jarrell Jer- uh, Big Baby Mel, dude, there's been... Dude, there's been dozens to hundreds of crossover fighters from kicking sports, and I've never seen even McGregor. You know what I'm saying? As much as Floyd carried him and clowned him in that fight, I was just waiting for him to like, you know, take a step back and like and like raise the like like do a little Van Dam. You know what I mean? The only way you get now Jerry to bite somebody is you you put some avocado spread on that shit. <laughs> put some avocado spread on his neck. He'll bite down. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. <laughs> Oh man! Oh, some would say Ivan Redcatch is getting his uh, getting what he deserves for for his behavior in the past. I mean, yeah, it, yeah, it, it kind of has built up on him, and maybe that is the case. But uh, to steal three hundred dollars from the guy, three hundred thousand. Oh, I'm sorry, three hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, give me a break. Three hundred dollars. <laughs> That's that. It would hurt me if you take that mushroom. That would be like taking three hundred thousand from Redcatch, probably. <laughs> probably yes. <laughs> well, that's uh, fucking depressing. Yeah. <laughs> It is. It is. Oh, man. All right. Well, that'll do it. Super Bowl Sunday, brother. Who you got? Who do I got? Super Bowl Sunday. I don't know, man. I feel like it is uh, Patrick Mahomes' destiny to win this. I've witnessed two things that I've – Dude, you and I had a conversation during the Chiefs' first playoff game, Mm -hmm. right? And I'm just going straight to the old. The, <laughs> I forgot all. You remember about that? that? Straight to the lazy Andy Reid argument. It's so easy just to pile on Andy Reid when his team comes out of the gate looking <laughs> you, like shit. You said to me, Andy Reid sucks as a coach. If Peterson was the Eagles' coach during that run, they'd have three Super Bowls. <laughs> the guy can't get his team ready. I remember it now. Yeah, yeah. And I kept saying it over and over again. <laughs> and I said, just chill out and fucking hold on a second. Okay, so to come back um, against was the Texans in the first game, right? Yeah. Um, to come back against the Texans the way that they did, and then to repeat the same exact fucking thing in the next game to to re- against a tougher defense against a tougher defense, but to reel off, I think it was a combined after being down by a combined, I think it was forty points or something like that in that ballpark. They went to thirty four, twenty four, ten nothing, twenty four nothing and ten nothing. No, I thought it was seventeen nothing in the in the Titans game. I thought they went down seventeen nothing. No. I think they went down 17-3. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Anyways, moral of the story is they reel off like fucking 80 points. Yeah. It's outrageous, and I just It think, takes them four plays. Dude, that one running play that Mahomes had in the last game, you know what I'm saying? That right there tells me that this is destiny. Now, I think the 49ers, I think that their fucking front seven is so violent and so fast, and they get to, to pressure the quarterback you know, in a way that no other team in the NFL does, and I think that that's going to be a problem for Mahomes. I think, uh, but, also, but I think he's going to overcome it. Yeah, I think he. I think his escapability is a little bit slept on in the pocket too. His ability to get out of the pocket, avoid a sack. Yeah, and once he does that, and it's a 
you know, you're you're making it work on the fly. He's the one guy in the league that can sling it sidearm 45 yards across the field, and it could be to Hardman or it could be to Tyreek Hill. They break one tackle, and it's gone. It's over. It's going to the house. I think that, um, you know, one thing that people are sleeping on as a factor in this game, and I'm not saying that this is the X factor or anything, Kyle Shanahan is one of the savants of the oh, NFL. Yeah. He's one of the smartest guys in the NFL. And I listened to, uh, I guess it was two days ago, <clears throat> on a local D.C. Um, uh, sports talk radio show, um, on, the, on, on the Kevin Sheehan show, he had, uh, he had Mike Shanahan on the show. Shanahan's a regular guest. Mm-hmm. And just getting into the nuance and sort of like the behind the scenes of how much of an impact. You're talking about Mike Shanahan, a future Hall of Famer, two-time Super Bowl winning coach, three-time Super Bowl winner as a coach, mm-hmm. right? Is this is this guy's father, and Kyle Shanahan basically running all of his like ideas on how to okay, this is what I think will work against Mahomes and neutralizing. What do you think, Dad? And just how he has his dad, how he has Mike Shanahan watching film for him yeah. and giving input for him. I mean, to have that resource in your corner, and it's not to say that that throughout the history of the Super Bowl, that guys that get there, coaches that get to the Super Bowl, right, that don't have a, a, a future Hall of Fame coach as a father in their corner, right. don't have buddies in the game that aren't watching things for them as well. You know, Andy Reid's got a fucking a stable of coaches that came from underneath of his tree that are all probably giving him input when he asks for it. You know what I'm saying? If you look at that 49ers team, it very much parallels the Mike Shanahan Broncos teams that won Super Bowls at the end of John Elway's career. Absolutely. They run the ball, they control the clock, and they're an opportunistic defense that can that can get sacks and create turnovers. Mm-hmm. That's how, That was the formula that Shanahan used. And now you're seeing his son use it. And a maniac for a tight end. Yeah. Shannon I, Sharp, George Kittle. Yeah. I, I think it's good. Look, I think it's going to be a, a great game. And I think I think we see Pat Mahomes with the with the ball last win it. Ooh, that kind of drama. That kind of drama. Give me your score. I'll go with, uh, say, 31-24 Chiefs. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go 40-32. to Mm-hmm. High scoring, yeah. NFL would like that, yeah. I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna be that way. I, I don't think. Look, there's nothing about the Chiefs' defense that tells me that they're going to be able to stop a Shanahan-style run offense. No, they're gonna. If for the Chiefs to win, I think 100 percent their defense is going to have to create at least one turnover. I think Mostert is going to have. Oh yeah, a huge game. Yeah, I do. But that doesn't mean that you know is that going to be able to to negate what Patrick Mahomes does. There was a prop bet that they were talking about on that on that same radio show that I was listening to, the over under for Damian Williams rushing yards for the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. Is it Damian Williams? Yeah, yeah. Um, it was set at like fifty eight yards or something like wow. that, right? And somebody in Vegas placed a two hundred and sixty thousand dollar bet on the under. Wow, I couldn't do it. I mean, that's one – you break one 30-yard run in the first quarter and you're in big trouble. Well, and that's just it. And so in the two Chiefs playoff games, I believe that Williams had an 80-yard run and a 26-yard run. Yeah. No, I can't. 
<laughs> especially the way they spread the field and, and they throw the ball so much when they decide, no way would I drop that coin. San Fran can't stop the run, though. Nobody runs against them. No, no, they don't. It's going to be a good game, man. You couldn't ask for a better matchup. I think it, this nah. is clearly the two best teams in the NFL. Yeah, I, I, I would agree 100%. And uh, a new NFL podcast by Kenny and Vin that we've been <laughs> that we've been talking about for the last seven years yeah. will be out uh, sometime. Yeah, maybe. Maybe we'll give up this little niche sport that nobody fucking watches. We'll actually join the big boys in the big time. Uh, go swimming in the big pool? Yeah. Get out of kiddie pool? Yeah, it's full of piss. <laughs> no, need some chlorine or something in this kiddie pool. Maybe that's a problem. Yeah, let's do it. You see, it, dude, in the big pool, you can poop and nobody will ever know. <laughs> you know I you, don't know what pools you've been fucking you go, swimming in. The ocean. <laughs> you will catch a turd float by you in the ocean every once in a while and be like, what the fuck? Oh, well. I'm gonna ride this wave in <laughs> those those old those old bathing suits that we used to wear as kids had 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 linings in them. It'll <laughs> catch it. Everybody wearing board shorts now. There's no more turd catchers in swimsuits, is what you're telling me. <laughs> Don't act like y'all ain't shit in the ocean before. <laughs> I've never shit in the ocean. Me either. <laughs> I thought I was like I thought I was gonna be in a minority of people that like you never tried that. <laughs> Come on, yeah, you you, yeah, you haven't lived. <laughs> Everybody's looking at you funny. <laughs> I swear I haven't. <laughs> oh Christ! All right, that's the way to end the show. Yeah, let's get out of here. Uh, right on, right? Yeah, you know, dick and fart joke to end it, right? Yeah, well, yeah. Once we reach the uh, the hour and fifteen minute mark, that they, they just <laughs> just fall out like pooping in the ocean, just slide right out. <laughs> All right, that'll do it, folks, for episode two hundred and sixty of the Boxing Rant Podcast. We appreciate all of you tuning in. We'll be back next week to uh, talk a little uh, King Ryan Garcia, uh, Jorge Linares in action. Nice, nice. Um, a lot more uh, coming down the road as we look forward to the upcoming. And it's, dude, it's, I just can't believe it's February. And in a couple weeks, we get ourselves a rematch that everybody's been looking forward to. And Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury, part two. So in the meantime, subscribe to the Boxing Rant Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Spreaker, Podcast Addict, CastBox, anywhere. We're all over the place. Um, And if you're watching this and you haven't already subscribed, and if you're listening, come watch us on YouTube. It's a fantastic channel. You get to see all of our facial expressions. Yeah. It's just amazing. Yeah. It's cinema. Is that what it is? (laughs) It is. Indeed. Um, yeah, so subscribe to the Boxing Rant YouTube channel today. So follow us on Twitter at Kenny Keith Jr. at Vince Cummings 81. And until next week, we appreciate all of you tuning in to the Boxing Rant Podcast. Muchas gracias, everybody.